Welcome to the second season of The Cage Equation with Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. Each episode, we will assign where the blame lays and spoiling a perfect Nicolas Cage performance. To apply the Cage Equation, we'll start with Cage's perfect 10 and subtract the Metacritic score, which gives us points, Nick, that we will split between director, writers, and Cage stars. This week, we are looking at The Sorcerer's Apprentice. So The Sorcerer's Apprentice was released in 2010. It was inspired by the 1940 Disney movie Fantasia, had a budget of 150 million, took in 210 million, was 109 minutes long, and scored an impressive 46 by the Metacritic score. So we're gonna have 54 points to assign blame. A quick synopsis, Nicholas Cage plays Balthazar, the good wizard who's trying to train Dave, the new apprentice, so they can beat Horvath, who is trying to release Morgana, the evil wizardess, who was battling both of their former mentors, Merlin. Magic ensues, and at the end, good triumphs all. This is a very overly complicated movie that has basically three pop plot points. Um, Malcolm, how did you enjoy the movie? I did not. All right. Well, that makes it quick. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things wrong with this movie. It, I mean, it's just, I, they try to load up about three hours of backstory. Um, there's it, a, felt, it felt like it was going to be a two-part movie because about an hour and a half in, I don't think anything had really happened yet. Um, like none of the evil people were doing anything yet. And then I looked and there's only like 30 minutes left in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we all knew that was, I can't even remember. What were they trying to do? They're just trying to unleash, oh, unleash a, an evil zombie army, which we saw for about three seconds. I think about four dead people came up in three different places as part oh, of Oh yeah. But then they moved a satellite dish, which historically speaking destroys armies. Yeah. The satellite, there's a couple things that were, were interesting about that. Yeah, overall, I would say probably a forgettable movie in many ways. I'm, I think they were trying to create a new uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I kept waiting for the uh, the theme from Pirates of the Caribbean to come in. It would have been better than anything else. I was They had a nice little Ian McShane voiceover that was uncredited. Oh, that was Ian McShane? That was Ian McShane. And then they started off after the flash, the flashback to the flash forward. They started immediately into uh, the Jimmy World song that was heard, I think, in about five hundred different movies. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. So they did the Jimmy World, and then I was able to place when this movie was made by the other three songs they played, which I think there was uh, One Republic. Yes. And then uh, shoot, I don't remember what the other one was. There was another pop song that was big. Um, that year, yeah, which was played through electricity. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Because the electricity makes sound waves. That's his. That's his project. Yes, that's physics. His, his dissertation is on. I, yeah, I would say probably. Music. <laughs> the great thing is, this like as as unbelievable as magic is, and everything else that happened. The even more unbelievable thing is somehow this kid has designed a giant electromagnetic. Um, science experiment in some unfound train station subway somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, so uh, that's that's my favorite part of the movie is that 
He says his PhD advisor got him permission to be here, but no one knows that he's there and they're definitely not supposed to be there. And he says it essentially like that. He says, yeah, my advisor found this location for me. We're not supposed to tell anyone we're supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be here. And then the school, when they give out his personal record, um, they say, oh yeah, he has an unsanctioned work environment uh, in the subway station. At this address. At this address that we have. And we have it written down that there's an unsanctioned work environment because higher education is notorious for breaking all the rules. Well, especially when you're dealing with high voltage uh, electromagnetic items. I mean, I think this was probably pre 9-11 and everything else, but I think they were still trying to watch out for people blowing things up and electrocuting people at that point in New York. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have any accountability. His, I don't, you never meet the advisor, but they're just okay with him electrocuting things under New York all day. That's how they smart people work. They get to do things like that all the time. I, but yeah, that was my that was maybe my favorite part of the movie was a really long explanation about how no one knows he's there, immediately followed by the school having the address written down somewhere. Yeah, I. That's, yeah, and by that point, by the time you even got there, you've already gone through three different movies because you've already had one flashback back to the medieval times which does a montage for several minutes going through entire things where people are putting people, I keep wanting to call them into horcruxes, but they're not, they're papushkas, which are basically Russian nesting dolls. But then we jump, we jump forward to when Dave is a young kid mm -hmm. and he's embarrassed in front of his entire class not because of he's disappeared and the magicians or anything else, but ultimately because it looks like he's wet his pants. Mm -hmm. And then we jump forward again. So in the first 20 minutes, we've gone through or 30 minutes. I don't even know how long that part was. We've gone through like 12 different time zones to get to the point um, where we should actually care about anything that's going on. Well, and then you get to the most important character. Once you get through all those, his roommate, Bennett. You may remember Bennett as he shows up at the beginning and makes it seem like he's going to be like the buddy along for the entire thing and then shows up at the end of the movie to bring him some magnets, I believe. And actually, I, I, I kind of like Bennett. I think the problem was... we got He introduced him like he was going to be a big part of the movie. That was my problem with it. I would have liked him to be a part of the movie. Well, I think what they ended up happening is they probably figured out that they... Uh, also giving him a love interest that was supposed, he was supposed to care about, who had nothing at all. If Bennett had been in the movie, she wouldn't have had anything to do at all other than to get captured. I, I don't know if she had anything to do at all anyways. No, she, she took care of the, uh, the satellite dish. And she overcame you know, the hero's journey there. They, they make sure you know that she's afraid of heights, which she then overcomes yes. to move the, the TV satellite dish that the magicians need to summon their undead army. I would say that became more of my favorite thing was somehow um, Doc Ock got transported into the future and within five minutes had figured out what satellite dishes were and how they could be used for magic. Yeah, so how, how did they used to do magic? Maybe I'm too young to remember how they used to do magic, but I have to imagine that in Merlin's time, there weren't a whole lot of really tall towers with satellite dishes on them. No, not from my childhood. I don't remember that being true. 
that there were any of those around. So, so how did you guys do magic back then? Then did you well, just not? Is that did she actually was it all just an elaborate plan because they didn't have the technology yet? So they they shelved the undead army until they could make it work. I that had to be the only thing. There's, so there had to be some kind of they probably had some subplot where they saw into the future and saw this was going to be possible. Oh, okay, and and so you pointed out that Horvath figured out the satellite dish. It doesn't matter that he figured that out because the evil witch that they're trying to prevent coming back doesn't talk to him about anything. She's no. immediately summoned and then starts doing this spell in yeah. the middle of, uh, uh, in the middle of the, uh, Central Park. Just she finds the perfect fountain for it. Um, it, to me, it seemed like. They wrote the movie like there was like maybe like a, a cult or something that was like preparing for their return and they just like threw that out and see, said, i think now ah, we don't need to explain it see i think you within your sentence there you made that you, you found the uh the problem i think you, you just said they wrote the movie i'm not sure if that was actually that actually happened at all because everything everything seems to be some lost plot line every way all the way through the whole thing and then they halfway through remembered oh by the way we have to have the uh fantasia with the uh, mop buckets happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've already forgotten about that. And then the gang yelled out about abusing his power. Okay. (laughs) So as you can see, we have a mess of a movie here. But our main problem here is to come up with the case equation is to figure out who is to blame. We have 54 points to blame. Um, let's start, we've already been talking about, let's start with the actors, um, the cage stars. Uh, I'd say Alfred Molina plays his role as well as he can, uh, since his character changes like three times, I think, um, throughout the movie, but no one else, the guy who played Bennett was the only other actor I I think I enjoyed in the entire movie. I did like the, what was the other guy that was Ben at the, no, Drake Stone. I think Drake Stone was a Toby Kebble who played him. The guy that played the Chris Angel guy. He was, yeah. Okay. He was fine. <laughs> I thought it was going to turn out that that was like Nicolas Cage's old apprentice or something. They make a comment like, well, my master left me when I was 15. Which Oh my gosh, you're right. That would have lined up perfectly with one. It would have. And yeah. I'm like, oh, this is going to, okay. It's like, he's going to figure out Nicolas Cage is, it took it on a new apprentice. And instead, he's used for the middle act and then just killed. I find it amazing and that, that in five seconds of us talking that we've already improved the script in three different ways by actually making a connection between, you're right. I, I hadn't even thought about that 15 years because for some reason with the flashbacks, I had the whole timeline was screwed up. That would have been perfect. Yeah, because it would have been around the time that um, uh, the, what's-his-face went into the magic store. Yeah, and got, got them all locked up. I wonder, once again, maybe that was in there. It, a lot of these pieces were thrown down there and it, it really does seem like um, that, that, that Becky, the girlfriend, seems to be shoehorned into the middle of all this stuff that where she wasn't needed because they already had the best friend they they didn't need her in the in the entire movie it well i think i think the reason they had her is because i read this on the imdb her and um dave were supposed to be in the justice league of america that was supposed to come out um and i think they were just trying to rope in another another big name for the movie 
Uh, it wasn't. It's not the Zack Snyder one. It was. Uh, no. Who was supposed to be the director of that <laughs> one? Like, was he supposed? George to be... Miller's. George Miller's oh. kids with Justice League of America. Oh, that would have. Okay, well now I'm actually a little bummed out that that didn't happen. Oh, <laughs> I am, but I feel like there's no way he could have made those two actors now work as any character in that. Was he going to play the Flash? Because he has an annoying voice, so I would guess that would probably be his. Hey, he'd have to. Because they think it covers, but he can't act at all with his face. And uh, and I the last scene where Nichols Cage is supposed to take that out you want to was just <laughs> it was awful. I, he's he's I think he's supposed to be angrily screaming insults at Nicolas Cage, but it just comes off like he wrote like a roast, and then he's giving him he's summoning the plasma and shoving it into his chest. I think Dave Dave might have been the worst part of the movie. I, I think so too. Um, also, his name's Dave. That's Merlin. That's, Merlin reincarnated is Dave. Um, yeah, his whole voice. Yeah, his voice. There was there was comments. I watched this with a couple other people, and there was a couple comments like, um, "Is he making his voice sound like that?" Yeah, I think he actually was at the beginning because it. it kind of toned back a little bit at the end so i guess he was trying to i it was it was some yeah there were a couple other ones i watched this actually with with your grandma and my mom and there were some comments of his voice was atrocious um and she also talked about the plot was atrociously sickening that was the other comment that i read i, I heard sickeningly. um so that's the that's the plot and we've kind of talked a little bit about the actors. I don't, I don't think Jay, Jay, the guy who played Dave and the woman who played Becky, I'd be fine never seeing another movie. Absolutely. Uh, Omar, like we keep saying, the guy who played Bennett, I've seen in a lot of things, and I actually like him a lot. I'm trying to remember. He's been in a couple other superhero movies, hasn't he, too? He's been like the sidekick yeah. of some superheroes a couple times, and he's done some other stuff like that. No, he's always good. Yeah, he was the sidekick in 8 Mile. Yeah, he was, he was Eminem's sidekick, the best sidekick. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> all right. I think we keep coming up with this theme too, with the with the women, especially like mm-hmm. Teresa, Teresa Palmer's part, over and over again. It's hard to even blame them because they're given just crap to deal with. They're supposed to be the damsel in distress, and then they try to give them something to do. They don't give them any good. Why would she even be interested in this guy? She actually seems pretty together with everything. Well, and then um, I'm going to go back to, okay, before I keep talking about the actors, okay. the biggest part that upsets me about the plot. So the beginning of the movie, Merlin loses. Like the Merlin loses. He, yes. He's done. He loses the fight. And for some reason, they, they think, and it ends up being true, that a completely untrained reincarnation of Merlin is going to win this fight, which he ends up doing, but it makes no sense. He's had, I think, two days of magic training. Well, he's and got then, uh, but then he uses science. He's yes. got the science, um, which he brings in a, a giant electric coil attached to his car, which I guess selectively chooses to only hit magicians, but only certain magicians. He has a remote, and I'm not sure how the remote functions, but he can aim the electric bolts, I believe. 
<sighs> yeah. Yes, this was bad. And what was he calling it? See, then I, then I got halfway through the movie. I finally had to turn on the uh, turn on the the subtitles. Oh, I wrote so it I down. It. It's because it, I went through different things. Was it the millennium? I thought it was the prime millennium. Was what yeah. I thought, but I think it's the prime millennium. Because I got prime millennium, 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 prime millennium. I I, got I think it was. I think it was. Everyone who's a magician is a millennium. Oh, okay. That don't makes sense. Not really, but yeah, sure. I'll go with that. There was also, I I think, and this probably isn't right, the the nesting doll, I swear he keeps calling the Grim Hole. <laughs> I don't know what it actually is called. Um, but I, he says it a lot. And it sounds like Grim Hole every time that he says it. Before we shred... Well, I'm sure it's really going to go really badly. Let's just talk about the direction. I didn't notice it. <laughs> was it? I think my biggest issue with the direction outside of the pacing um, was something we just learned, which is they spent five months planning this big fight scene in Chinatown, which it seems like <laughs> it's going to be really cool when you find out that an, an ancient magician is controlling a dragon. But then you learn the way he controls it is by like playing Pac-Man on a metal thing around his stomach. Yeah. Which instantly just killed everything for me because they it's not like they just show it once. It's like most of the fight scene, I think, is watching him draw on his stomach where for the dragon to go. Yeah, and that was, um, what's his name? John Turtletop, which we've actually talked about him before because he was the director for both the National Treasure movies. Um, not hard to believe. Three Ninjas, he did that. That was a good one. Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings. Um, his latest ones was The Meg, which was a, trying to make up a new Jaws, which was another. Is that Jason Statham's? Yes. Giant the, shark thing? Against the giant shark. Yeah. He doesn't have, I, you don't really see anything that would say he's going to be any good. And I don't think he brought anything to the movie. I, I kind of almost wonder if it's because he's done several uh, Nicolas Cage flagpole movies. If he just they felt like he was comfortable with them, and we'll just go ahead and use him again. He's yeah. not gonna. He's not gonna mess it up. Well, because I mean, uh, it's also a lot of his movies were Jerry Bruckheimer movies too, right? Yeah. Which is is Jerry Bruckheimer still making movies, and I just don't see him anymore. I don't even know anymore. I think I think he's. Not as much. And the thing is, you got to remember Jerry Bruckheimer movies too, is he's an old fashioned producer where he's looking at, at the bottom line. Mm-hmm. He's trying to make the money. So why does he put this guy in charge? He's not looking for Scorsese. He's looking for somebody who's going to come in under budget, get it in on time and be done with it. And that's all he wants. And if yeah. it happens, if it happens to turn into something bigger, then that's great. Like we said, this one made like $60 million. It was made for 150, which is I can't believe they spent this much money on this movie after you see it. Um, it doesn't feel like there was 150 million dollars no. worth of budget put in there. I I wonder how much of that was just because I think they shot it in New York. I think they actually used like in New York to shoot it. I wonder that it's probably cost quite a bit. I'd imagine shut down Central Park. Yeah, I. Uh, it did gross so worldwide. It grossed 215 million. So it did end up making Make some money. 65, 
65 million dollars i mean we aren't the only ones uh what was the other thing i i I read oh roger ebert who was still alive around at the time when he said he said this is much better film than the last airbender Which is faint praise, but it's becoming clear that every weekend brings another heavily marketed action comedy that pounds tens of millions out of consumers before evaporating. Yeah, evaporating is, I think that's the perfect word for this one is evaporating. I don't, I was trying to write notes 10 minutes after it was over and honestly could not remember any of it. Yeah. No, my notes are all just, I think related to my misunderstanding of what they're saying on screen. Yeah. Um, also, just yeah. real quick, sorry, I have I do have um, one now. Abigail, okay. um, the woman who started the girl who started Salem first shows yes. up. Uh-huh. She shows up in at night, at like midnight, in the middle of a radio studio. And all the all the um love interest says to her is, Oh, we're closed. There's just a little girl standing in your radio studio right now. A creepy little girl. Who then and then immediately teleports and lets her know, like. She's possessed. She has like red eyes, but she has no reaction to this little girl just standing there and like old, old timey clothes. Well, and then I'd be she, terrified instantly. Yeah. And she's gone in three seconds, too, is the other thing. That, that was the other thing is they had no, they didn't use any of the people they had. Like, uh, what was the uh, name of the, the Chinese sorcerer with the dragon? They kind of used him. And this big supposedly set piece, which I think that whole thing lasted like 10 minutes, it lasted less time. Then, then the kid peeing his pants scene happened. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was over and gone. Then they bring out the Salem girl, which you would think would be good for a good fifteen minutes of scares. Nothing. Was there something else? Remember what happened? What what happened to her? Uh, he he drained her. He just kept draining all of them after he they would do something. Oh, because he would take it and he put the rings on. Yeah, the he took he took her power. Stick. Yeah, and which didn't went, seem to benefit him at all. No, no, that would have made sense. Him being no, stronger. Yeah, See, he, so he's getting stronger the whole time too. So it's not just that they beat Merlin; they beat Merlin before all this extra stuff happened. And she's made out of vapor or something when she yeah. comes back. The big evil, which I think this is one of my least favorite things in PG movies. I think this was PG. Um, is so in order to avoid it being like a really gruesome death, they have her pixelated. The entire time. But he's just blowing chunks out of her body, like, throughout. Like, something yeah. you could never show. And then there's another scene where, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Horvath straight up murders the dude uh-huh. like, on camera. He takes two swords and just shoves them through the guy's car. And I don't know why that... <laughs> no one acknowledges this. But also, is it just... It's, it's PG because they didn't show blood? Yeah. Is that the Blood is a lot of it. You can make a you can make a case that he didn't actually, obviously he did kill the guy, but it's like in the old westerns they used to do the thing on TV too that they broke finally broke convention of that it was also in the movies. You could shoot as many people as you wanted to, but you had to show the person shooting, and then the person getting shot in separate. You had to cut between the. Oh, two. you couldn't you couldn't show them shooting the person. On you screen. couldn't yeah you couldn't see the gun and the person getting shot in the same shot. And actually, it was one of the few things, the Spaghetti Westerns the Clint Eastwood broke, broke all those conventions, and they didn't know they were breaking them, and then and Clint Eastwood didn't tell them, and then all of a sudden, all this movie started ending up in American theaters, and they broke, and nobody did anything about it, so they figured, oh, what the heck, let's all do it now. But yeah, they yeah. didn't used to be able to show somebody getting shot 
and the gun are the same thing. And I think that all these ratings, the rating system's just completely it's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. There are no actual rules. Um, I don't know. I never really felt I never really felt in danger from any of this stuff anyway. I mean, honestly, the scarier, the scarier thing that anything that ever happened in this movie was the original Fantasia when Mickey Mouse had those brooms walking around with the mm-hmm. That was that scared the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah. And then the, no, and, I don't think I've ever rewatched it because of that. Yeah, it's it's an it's a literal nightmare. <laughs> it's and that and the um the other one that I think scarred me was the Willy Wonka tunnel scene. Well, yeah. Which I tried to read what that was supposed to be, and I have no idea still. But I just I would skip that scene. I would fast forward through it. Yeah. Um, and that was uh yeah, even Gene Wilder and a lot of other people have talked about it. That was, they didn't quite intend it to be that, but when they got done, they did it. The fact that that stayed in the movie is just crazy, too. Yeah, you may not have intended to do that, but it was pretty clear before you released the movie what that scene was. Well, the chicken gave its head cut off, too. They actually had a live chicken. Yeah. Okay, we've digressed. <laughs> back, back to the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's really hard to keep on this movie because everything we've just talked about is much more interesting. Than yeah. it's here. So the director's completely bland. He didn't screw it up, but he didn't make it any better either. Then we can come to the writer. Um, I think I saw four writers on this. Uh, One, two, three, three, for sure. Four, it looks like five, I think actually got writing credits. Oh, here it is. Um, three minutes. Lawrence Cooner, Mark Rosenthal, Matt Lopez, Doug Miro, and, and Carlo Bernard. Planet of the Apes, but the Mark Wahlberg one. Well, there uh, you go. Star Trek Six, Superman, Superman Four, Four, The Quest, Four Piece. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Superman Four. Yeah, he, it's probably better off you didn't didn't know about that one. He, uh, that's where Superman destroys all the nukes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that exists. I think that's also one where they split him in two and he fought himself was the big was the big person he fought. Like himself himself or like his evil version? His evil yeah. version. We're, we're, we're getting way off again. But. Once again, yes, more interesting stuff than what we're talking about. But that's okay. Um, okay, this movie makes no sense. It does seem that it was written by five people and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. 54 points. Yeah. Okay. I, I can go first. I already know what I want to do. I want to give 14 points to Jay Burchel, Okay. 10 points to Teresa Palmer, and then the other 30 points to the writing. Okay, I'm going to go with... I'm blaming the disjointed story all on the writing, which was the hardest part to follow for me yeah. was what was supposed to be happening. So I'm going to give the writing... Oh, uh, gosh, I'm going to give him 30... And then I'm going to give 15 to, oh, gosh. Let's go 30 for the writing. Uh, that leaves me with 24 more, if I can mm-hmm. do math. Um, I'm going to go 14 for the director, because he should have done something about this. He, I, mean, I don't think he did anything in this thing other than kept the boat afloat. And I think sometimes, as a director, you need to do more than that. And I give 10 to... I'm going to give like eight to Jay. I'll give two to Teresa. I, I, it's hard for me to, once again, I, I, we keep blaming these women during these movies. They're given crap parts. 
and nothing that they could do with them. I mean, how could she have done any better with what she had? Than, than... You know, at some point, you got to accept responsibility for your own decisions. Yeah, she and took the movie. You or your agent sat down and either just didn't read the script or thought, eh, I'm sure it's not as bad as it sounds. No. You agreed to be there. No one forced you. You got paid probably way too much money to be there. <laughs> and I'm, I can't blame the director because I feel like, I don't know, I think he did exactly what he was brought in to do, which is direct a Jerry Bruckheimer movie and hit, hit these but, plot points. Off, right? Well, yeah, but he just did exactly what you were saying about with the with her. At some point, you have to accept responsibility that you accepted you accepted to, to direct a pile of poop. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't think there's... What could he have done to make it better? I don't know. I think we'd have to... I, I think most of it goes to the writing. All of it should go to the writing, actually, is probably what's going on here. Yes, I think um, we should. We should. Should we talk at all about Nicolas Cage in this one? <laughs> I mean, outside of what you've told me about the Dresden Files, I don't... Again, he seemed like he was in a different movie. He had really weird delivery, even by his standards in this yeah. one, though. Especially when he was, like, teaching magic. Phase one, clear your mind. It was like he was, like, reading an instructional video. Yeah. Which was probably, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. I had a couple of good ones about the shoe. The shoes things just help. Plus, they, it helps you make, makes you look classy with his old man shoes. Pig that just loves physics. He had a couple of good lines in there, but I think that yeah, I was saying he had he was at the moment when this was made. He held the rights to the Dresden Files, which is a well-known uh, fantasy book about a modern-day wizard who's also a private detective. He was a executive producer on the Dresden Files TV show, and I think he was mostly upset that he was not able to actually star in that, which I think is what he wanted to do because. This entire performance, his entire look and everything else is just basically a direct rip off of, of the Dresden Files. And I think he wanted to make a different movie and he just decided that's what he was going to do. So when yeah. we say he was in a different movie, he wasn't in a different movie. He was in the movie he wanted to make, which he thought somehow this was going to turn into. But no one else did. Did they ever say why he's not Merlin's apprentice? Like why he didn't go to one of... <laughs> did they ever say anything about that? Oh, because that's that, that confused me even more. Was just his his search for this reincarnated Merlin, and the little dragon ring that's supposed to do it, and then he finds him and just lets him go. I mean, honestly, it would have been better if he would have taken up a an actual mouse as his apprentice. Would have made more sense to have a mouse named Mickey, an animatronic mouse named Mickey <laughs> as his apprentice. That would I I would watch that. If they made that movie right now, I'd watch that. That's yeah, Stuart Little slash Sorcerer's Apprentice. All right. All right. So I think we're going anywhere from 30 to 54 on the writing. Um, a slight disagreement on how much the director is responsible, which would probably take much more research than either one of us ever wants to do. Um, and we can both agree that Jay is no good. And Teresa Palmer was given a, a thankless part, and she probably shouldn't have taken it. Oh. All right. Well, that pretty much sums it up for that one. Uh, thank you for listening to The Cage Equation. Um, until next time, I believe we'll be looking at Grand Isle. Grand Isle. Grand Isle, which is definitely a much more enjoyable movie, I believe, than this one. But thanks for joining us for the second season. 
of Cage Equation, and we will be seeing you soon. I'm Drake Mickelson with Malcolm Mickelson, and as always, thanks for listening.